Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert healthcare to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org slash podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo. Welcome to this week's edition of Walk Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. This week, I'm excited to welcome two of the co-authors of a recent article in the Journal of Woundostomy Continence Nursing that was entitled Physician Residents Shadowing a Certified Woundostomy Continence Nurse to Develop Interprofessional Competencies, a Quality Improvement Project. Joining me from that team today are Dr. Laura Monahan and Mary Sandrick. Dr. Monahan works at the College of Nursing and Health Sciences at Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi, as an assistant professor and an interim department chair in the College of Nursing and Health Sciences. Mary Sandrick is a certified woundostomy incontinence nurse at Sinai Health Systems in Chicago, Illinois. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies. I'm really excited to be talking to you today about your exciting project about physician residents shadowing a certified woundostomy incontinence nurse. So I guess we'll start by having you both tell us a little bit about yourselves and your nursing background so we all know each other. Okay. Well, I'll start. And Jody, I've had a very eclectic background. I started out as a construction welder when I was younger. And I welded tanks and pressure vessels, catwalks, cage ladders, pneumatic and hydraulic lines. But after the death of a coworker, I decided to go back to school with a vengeance. So I went back to school and got my my bachelor's degree and then got my MBA at Northwestern Kellogg Graduate School of Management and worked for an electrical utility And my job was to set up power contracts in between utilities around the United States and Canada. And my average contract was like $12 million. So it was was an exciting, exciting thing to do. But that gave me the latitude to retire in my mid-30s. And after that, how I became a nurse was my husband had a cancer scare. And we had some good friends who were going through a similar experience. He died. And I thought, this is not going to happen to us. So I decided to go to school and I went to University of Illinois at Chicago and got my master's and then got my doctorate degree. And while I was doing that, I was working at Mount Sinai Hospital with Mary Sandrick, my colleague, and we were doing wound care together. So that's how we both met. And how did you end up in Texas, Laura? I'm a department chair now at Texas A&M University in Corpus Christi, and we have a large population, probably about 1,500 nurses, and long story, but I ended up as a department chair in Corpus Christi at Texas A&M, so I'm an Augie. Nice. Wow. And you're a lot warmer than Mary and I are. Oh, yes, yes. It's it's 75 degrees here oh, today. Oh, my gosh. I love it. And we're freezing, right, Mary? Yes. yes, we are. I got sweaters on. Yeah. And Mary, tell us about yourself a little bit. Okay. Well, I received my Bachelor of Science from Loyola University in Chicago. And then I went to the Rupert B. Turnbull School of Entral Stomal Therapy 
1982. It was enterostomal therapy at the time. And then I went back for my master's to Loyola again, which is now Marcella Niehoff School of Nursing. And that was in 1998. And so I worked at Mount Sinai, which is now called Sinai Chicago. They changed the name. But I've been working there as the WOCN since 82. I worked for a medical supply company called Ostamed for about five years, but I was actually still working for the hospital because at that time there was a, a layoff, big nurse shortage layoff. And I was contracted back to the hospital one day a week, but then they realized that I, they needed more. So I ended up going back. This project was fascinating to me. There were so many great things about it, but tell me how, what made you get the idea for this project and just tell us a little bit about what you did. When I was in Illinois, I was working at a small private university and I developed a lot of partnerships with University of Illinois at Chicago, College of Medicine, College of Pharmacy, you know, College of Nursing. And we would, we would create these interprofessional education seminars where we'd have about 500 medical, nursing, and pharmacy students doing these interprofessional collaborations together. And I remember at one of these seminars, a medical student turned to me and said, can nurse practitioners prescribe? And it was like an epiphany moment for me because I thought, well, doesn't everyone know that? But then I realized, no, you know, you can't make these assumptions. And as you know, in academia, we're training now and we're educating our providers in silos. You know, there's a medicine silo, a nursing silo, pharmacy, et cetera. And we're not having them have any interaction with them until they're in the clinical practice. So we're telling them, you know, in clinical practice, you know, be good team members, collaborate, communicate. But when we're training them, we're not giving them the tools to do so. So that was the kernel that impelled me to explore this project. And then Mary and I talked about this and thought this would be a great application for the younger you can get them, the better off you are, I think. And Mary and I were talking about this and said, let's do this at Mount Sinai and work with the residents where they're still moldable and pliable. And, you know, we can, we can get them to communicate better and collaborate better. We always had a, a very strong residency program at Sinai. We've had internal medicine, surgery, family medicine, and the hospital across the street, which is a rehab hospital called Schwab, also has a residency program. So, you know, over the years, you know, people would tag along. And when I we talked about this, we were thinking maybe we could do it with the, you know, the curriculum of wounds or staging or something. But that wasn't very realistic because not every experience was going to be the same for every resident that rounded. So that didn't work. So the interprofessional collaboration domains was really the key, but they they did really get a good wound, sometime ostomy, eye-opening experience when they rounded with me. 
I'm sure. I'm sure. So, so you two came up with this great idea. So who did you have to talk to in your organization to get that rolling? Like, I'm sure that was a process just based on what I know about where I work. So will you tell us like how you then, so this is a great idea. Now, what do you do? Tell us what you did to start things off and get it going. Well, we had to get the internal review board okay for that. And Jody, I don't know if you've ever done IRB, but it can be a very tedious process. So we had to get that done. And then Mary did a lot of networking within the hospital system. She's very well respected at Mount Sinai. And she really navigated some of the waters that needed to be navigated to get this this through. So the IRB was the first process and then getting buy-in from leadership was the next. Right. And about the same time, the residency program, especially internal medicine, was actually starting to have different rotations. And the rotation that they included this rounding experience was their geriatric rotation. And so the geriatric rotation was a month long. So not only did they spend time with me, they also had to go to the nursing home. They had to spend time with speech therapy. They had, you know, to meet with one of the physicians that did geriatric care and discuss, you know, different cases and actually answer questions. They showed me some of their questions. It was like a a quiz. So that's how this became, you know, part of their experience in the residency program. Wow. So Mary, you as the trusted expert in that organization had a lot of impact because of your history of working there to help facilitate this, I bet. Yes, yes. And they were they were very agreeable, you know, to round because even before we started it, people would ask can I spend time with you? You know, I mean, we spend time with nurses and we spend time with students. And so they would see that. And some of them actually would ask because they were interested on how can I find out more information, that type of thing. So I was really impressed with this, like the whole issue around interpersonal collaboration versus teaching the residents what they need to know. So that whole model of how you base this project on was really Interesting. And so will you talk a little bit about what interprofessional collaboration is and the tool you use to measure it and why you picked that? Sure, sure. So interprofessional education and interprofessional collaboration are, are one of my research interests. And I really strongly support interprofessional collaboration because it's a concept for the team approach and it really synergizes the strength of the various disciplines to work together because we're all there for the same reason. We're all there for the best outcomes for the patient. But how do we achieve that, especially when there's barriers to communication and you know understanding roles and responsibilities, et cetera? So this has been something that's been very near and dear to my heart. You know, I knew a colleague at Virginia Commonwealth University. His name is Dr. Alan Dow, and I had worked on another project using the the tool that he created. So I asked him if I could use this tool for this application too, because it seemed like such a good fit. And he graciously gave us permission to use his tool. And we wanted that tool because it's both reliable. It was deemed both reliable and valid. 
So that was the strength of that tool. There's many, many interprofessional education tools that you can use, but this one fit our needs the best. Okay. So that's why you picked it, that particular one. Okay. So then you organized a plan to get this done and you picked the uh, time frame of 16 hours, I think, for the total experience for the person. Is that right? Yep. Right. That was based on the geriatric rotation that they had to do for a month. That's how that happened because they really only spent the one day, really like the one morning for the whole month, like every Friday or whatever it was. And because other days they were in the nursing home, they were doing the speech, following speech and and doing other things. It just fit into it. Okay. So that's why the schedule was the way it was. Okay. All right. Yeah. And we we followed Deming's Plan, Do, Study, Act framework. If you're familiar with Deming, he's the fellow that really brought the Chinese auto industry into the competition that it is today. Great pioneer in continuous process improvements. And the time frame really fit the, the do aspect of that framework. And then I know I've done some of this with residents in my own organization and would try to do it for the day. And it didn't really work very well because they had so many other competing responsibilities. So it seemed like that four-hour block, you could really pack it full of good experiences. Did you find that, Mary, when you were doing that? Yes, because they were they were like a captive audience for me. They followed me. They had to go everywhere I went. They participated, some of them more than others, but they were mine until, you know, we didn't have any more patients to see or, you know, the time ran out. So that's what happened. Okay. And did you try to give them all the same experience or was it sort of what you had for the day was what the the person participated with? It was what we had for the day because the patient's situations were so vast and varied from, from week to week or day to day that I tried to, and I was trying to think of some way to do that so that they could at least all experience like the different stages in that. But it really was not possible because some days we had ostomy patients and some days we had leg ulcers and some days we had, you know, pressure injuries. So it was very depending on what came in. But I can say over the month, they did get a very varied experience based on just, you know, rounding with me because our patient load was, was actually pretty high. Okay. And are you by yourself in your facility, Mary? Unfortunately, I am by myself. Okay. And you were throughout this time too, when you were getting this off the ground? Yes. I did have a nurse that was working with me at the time, but it was almost like she didn't really participate in this project at all. And then she left. And so basically I was doing it myself. Okay. Okay. So how do you think that impacted your workload or didn't it? Like, you know, when you precept students, it seems like I'm always there late. Maybe you're better organized than I am, but how does that work for you, Mary? Well, there was a lot of teaching, you know, a lot of stopping and explaining, which I enjoy that anyway. So, you know, if they didn't understand something or they wanted to go back after to go back to my office and, you know, look at different products or discuss something, we did that. It worked out because, I mean, I was able to get everything done and they actually had time to like investigate some questions and find out more about if the interest was really there, they would actually, you know, kind of pick my brain and ask me more 
about certain aspects. Like I said, it depended on their, maybe their cardiology, they're going into cardiology fellowship. So they weren't as interested, but they, you know, respectfully were there and they listened and they, you know, had the experience. And some of them were much more participative than others. Some of them would get in there and hold the patients, help, you know, clean and, you know, do everything. And some of them were, you know, kind of hands off a little bit. So it just depended on the individual. And do you think that it helped like with the number of consults you got for like, you know, chap lips or some of those things we get hang nails or, you know, stuff? Yeah, I think I think they had an understanding more of what was important, you know, as one of the, in our article, one of the participants mentioned that when they're in the clinic, that they're terrified to take the dressings down because they honestly didn't know what to do. And they were honest about it. And they, you know, it was just a real soul touching experience for them to tell me this because I was like, you know, you're the doctor, you're going to be, you know, attending or whatever. And they were like real honest about it. They're like, no, I don't know this. I don't know this information. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what I'm looking at. So those are the things that came out. And I think for them, it was really valuable. Yes. And you know what, in the article, we mentioned that wound costs are like, at $96.8 billion right now annually. And yet medical schools typically give less than five hours in wound care. So there's a real disconnect there that definitely needs to be addressed. So this is like, this project is a step in the right direction. It's good the way you set it up so that you have all this data now at the end of it, instead of just like jumping in and doing this, the way you have that and got your data is really good because you really have added to the evidence in that area, right? So some of the residents did some hands-on, like if they were one to jump in and help, they would do that. So you didn't have them like doing dressings or or did it depend on the the person and their level of jumping in? It depended on the person. Some of them wanted to do it after I had been, you know, they would help and they would like hold or they would, you know, cut tape or do something like that. But some of them actually said, you know what, the next patient, do you think I could put the dressing on? Which was like really great. They had me use like a honey or a whatever. And then they're like, do you think I could do it? And they did. And then they had a sense of uh, actual hands-on experience for doing a wound dressing. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And did you have any, like anything specific you gave them all like websites or references or like a product formulary or anything? Or did you sort of base that on the level of interest of the particular resident at the time? I based it on the level of interest because some of them, like I said, the ones that were going into something something other than a hospitalist or, you know, just in general internal medicine, you know, they were interested, but not that interested. So yes, we did share the formulary we had at, at the hospital, but also articles about, cause I kept telling them, there's tons of different products. We don't have everything here. You kind of want to just know categories maybe, and then you can, the selection may be different, whatever institution you're going to end up at. So they were very, very, very appreciative. As a matter of fact, one of them, her husband ran a home health agency and was very interested in products. Yeah. I bet you saved them a lot of money in that agency. (laughs) So talk about the results that you got 
first of all, tell us what kind of results you got. And then I want to know if you were surprised by them. I, I thought it was great. Well, we had an increase. Our overall score increased 7.5% on all the domains. And those domains, again, are professional communication, collaboration, understanding of roles and responsibilities and ethics and values. The biggest gain was in teamwork, in the collaboration aspect, which kind of surprised me a little bit. I thought it would be, well, you never know what the results are going to come out, but I was also pleased that communication was statistically significant too. So teams and teamwork was 10.8% and professional communication was 7.9. So it made us very happy that this project was so successful because you never know, you never know what the results are going to turn out to be. So I was, I was delighted with the results. This was kind of a marriage between academia and clinical practice, which we found very exciting, too. And we always relish the opportunity to work together. So we're going to try and think of more projects. I was going to ask you that. What's next for you two? It sounds like you're a great team. So that was that was really great. And then I read about the resident ambassador. Will you explain what that was and Did you implement that or will you implement that or tell us about that a little bit? Well, you know, what was very interesting about this project is the word of mouth promotion that the residents did. You know, they said, this is really cool. You should try it, too. And so we thought, gosh, in future projects, we should incorporate a resident ambassador to help us get the word out on that because, you know, that would be very useful when people buy in because they're really excited about it. Of course, you get more. And we definitely wanted the number of, you know, we would have been delighted with more residents. We had 49 residents, which was which was fine. But, you know, the bigger your population is, the stronger the results can be. So having someone who would promote it from within and partner with us, we thought would be a a strength for future projects. Right. And the other thing is the internal medicine residents were sort of mandated to do this because it was part of their curriculum. However, the family medicine residents, it was an elective. So they sought me out and they said, oh, can I make rounds with you? And then they got included in the study, but it wasn't mandatory for them. So it was, it was certainly just, you know, based on the fact that they felt that they need it. And for, they have six family medicine residents and all of them participated. And there's also residents at Schwab, the rehab hospital. Now those residents were not included, but some of them have reached out to me and have asked if they could round with me as an elective. So you did this project and you have all this nice data. So what's going on now with it? Is this something you're going to, you're still doing? What? Tell me what the current situation is. We're still doing it, but we're not collecting the data, obviously, because it's IRB, it was closed after we completed. But the interesting thing is just this week, I had a resident who's rounding with me. Now, these residents do this experience in their third year. However, he said he mentioned to the program director that maybe they should do it in their first year because it would be more valuable to them in the first year. And they're actually looking at that. 
And that goes along with our premise. The younger we get them, the better off we are. That's right. You know, That's right. Because they're, they're more open to change. So. Yeah, that's great. And then you mentioned spreading to other specialties in the article. So you have some rehab and you have family and internal medicine. Are you thinking of other areas? I don't know, surgery or well, GI? Surgery, or- yeah, surgery is another another animal. <laughs> I hate to say it, but they tend to think they already know wound care because of their... And sometimes they do. And sometimes when I see them document the stage, I'm like appalled at what I'm looking at because they don't know. So I don't know how to approach that. I have been asked to give lecture to them, but it's always not a a short period and they kind of act like they already know it. So I don't know how open they would be to that because it seems like they might have more in their curriculum than you know the internal or family medicine residents do, but I don't know how open. But it would be a good it would be a good thing. Some of them have not participated in rounding, but have asked me about dressings and products that they're not familiar with because they still use a lot of saline, moist. Yeah, and so and I'm you know okay we have, I have the dressings, but you know if they are interested, they'll ask and and maybe they'll they'll use it. Mm-hmm. This seems like such a good base for somebody going into primary care because so many times that's where these patients with a lot of what you see in acute care, they start with going to their primary care provider. So it seems like for those people, this would be such a great base of knowledge for them to start out with as they go into practice on their own. Yes, yes, absolutely. And Mary has done, for some of my classes, she has done guest lecturing with our nursing students, because again, not a lot of nursing students are exposed to wound care and it opens up a whole world for them. So it's, it's good for them to be exposed to wound care too at these early stages. It's mandatory for all new employees in their orientation phase to round with me, at least for a morning. And also we do have students that I'll pick this as a rotation or a one of their like capstone, you know, their last curriculum and they pick wound care and ostomy care. So I've had several of them that have done that. Wow. So you're teaching all the time. It sounds like Mary and Laura too, right? Since you, (laughs) your faculty, right? Yes. Yes. That's really nice for other nurses and other people in the hospital to witness that collaborative program though, right? Like what a good role model for the future. This program is Right. Absolutely. Because you know what? We need everybody to be on the team. It can't be a Lone Ranger. You know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto to help him. You know, we need a team in today's healthcare. It's just too complex. One person cannot do it. So we need the synergy of the strengths of all the professions to work together again for best outcomes for our patients. So now that you look back at this, is there anything you would have done differently about it? Or I guess that's part one of my question. And then I guess part two for Mary, is there anything you've done differently as this has evolved than how you started it? It worked from the beginning, so you're still doing the same thing? Or have you modified how you administer all of this? You know what? In many ways, this kind of grew organically. I mean, we had this great idea and we implemented it 
But it was it was a learning curve for us too, in many ways, because it hadn't been done before, and we weren't sure what the results would have been. Fortunately, it turned out wonderful. Would I have done anything differently? I think in the future we did hand surveys, and I would go to Qualtrics, an electronic survey instrument that would have made things a lot easier for data input, and it would. You know, Qualtrics helps with the statistical and primary statistical analysis, too. So that would have been one thing I would have changed. But you learn as you grow. Yes. And I I don't know that I've fundamentally changed the experience because, you know, like I said, every experience is different and every person, every individual resident is different but it's very well received and known at the hospital. If anyone is interested, they're certainly welcome. Sometimes I will have a resident, a nursing student, and an orientee. So I have got like three people with me. So it's, you know, I got a group here. Better to turn with me. That's what I was thinking, Laura. Turn team right there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So the more the merrier. And I always am very happy when I have other people because, you know, I can't always get the nurses to help me at the time when I show up because they're passing meds or they're busy. And so it's really very valuable. Yeah, that's great. And then Mary, do you keep any data on this? I bet you keep, I'm just guessing you keep the number of people you work with over time. Is that the one thing that you keep, like we all keep statistics about what we do with our work day and patients we see and all that. Do you keep numbers or any data on this process that you have? Just because I, I mean, I have a list of all the residents, especially internal medicine. And then if there's anyone from family or from rehab that you know, calls me, I add them, but I know that it's mandatory for the internal medicine residents. So they have to do it. And, you know, they, they approach me now. I mean, I don't have to hunt them down. So yeah, it's so well received. I think now that it's been, we've been doing it for such a a long time now that I think they just, it's automatic, you know, a wound care. Okay. What do I do? How do I do that? You know, and even after, even if they're not in the geriatric rotation and they're on the unit, you know, they will call me for patients and then we collaborate together. We talk about the patient, we discuss, you know, what needs to be done and they're more aware, more open because they've had the experience, you know, and also, or because they know they've spoken to their colleagues and they know about the experience. So if they haven't had it, they have a little bit more base on what we're doing. Wow. So that's really embedded in the culture there now that, yes. right. So yes. that's a huge success, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. yeah. Great. Break down those silos. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's great. All right. What else is important about this? I'm going to list the article and the the citation at the end for our listeners so that they can go read it and enjoy it as much as I did. But what else is important about the project or something else I should have asked you about that I didn't ask you? Well, I think one thing for me is the recognition that we're all ambassadors for interprofessional collaboration. And again, we all bring strengths to the table and we synergize those strengths, and that's very beneficial for patients. So we're all there for the patients. Let's all work together for those patients. Right. And also, it's just to realize that, you know, just because you have an MD after your name doesn't mean you know everything. And, you know, sometimes I think 
nurses can be intimidated. They think, oh, the doctor, you know, no. And, and, you know, we have to be advocates for our patients. And if they don't know something, we have to open our mouth and say, you know, something might work better. I know maybe you could look at it this way or do something different. And I think when you're able to speak up and be, you know, a little bit more courageous, then you realize we're human and not everybody knows everything. And, you know, some people admit it and some people don't, but hopefully they will, you know, you want to work together and, you know, there's a way to do that. It's not like the old days where, you know, the doctor, you know, whatever he said went and you just had to follow along. So that's where all of this actually makes a difference. And I think the the residency programs are really embracing this interprofessional curriculum because they they realize I think they're actually looking at more that that is important. It's an important aspect. Yeah, and and it almost touches on cultural humility by recognizing that you know you can learn so much from other people that you don't have to have all the answers. And you know that that can be difficult for some people, but that humility is very important. Don't you think as a walk nurse, we're looked at as having all the answers and we don't, so we know who to go to or how to get the resource that we need? Yes, if we need to refer, because sometimes I don't know, and sometimes I have to say, it's either this versus this, and I'm not 100% sure, I don't know, I don't have, I mean, the patient can't give me a good history or, you know, and so then, you know, you're more apt to say, well, it's okay not to know it's actually okay to ask these questions because I'm searching. And if I don't know, we got to find somebody who can answer these questions. And like Laura said, for the best of the patient, for the better, better outcome for the patient. Right. All right. What else? Anything else I should have asked you about? I think now maybe somebody could replicate this program at their organization. So thank we you. We would for... love them to replicate it. Yeah, yes. that would Absolutely. be great. But thank you for sharing all those details about how you got it done, because I was reading it. And I'm like, I wonder how they did this. I wonder how they did that. So it was really helpful to hear all the hard work that you both did to get this project going and continuing. Maybe that's our next article, Mary, Tales from the Front. Tales from the Front. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you both. Thank you for having us, Jody. It was delightful talking with you. Yeah, it was a pleasure to have you. Again, if you're interested in reading this article, it was in the January-February issue 2022 of Journal Wound Ostomy Incontinence Nursing, starting on page 29. It was entitled, Physician Residence Shadowing a Certified WOC Nurse to Develop Interprofessional Competencies, a Quality Improvement Project. And the authors, again, Laura Monahan, Meng Zhao, Michael Monahan, Kataline Acker, and Mary Sandrick. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of Walk Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit WOCN.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, that's WOCN.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk. Walk Talk.